forget the 202 area code even exists. There is no way <laughs> yep. that going to Washington, D.C. to ask federal politicians to fix problems created by federal politicians will ever work. And in, in, in fact, the whole system was created like this. Right. Whether you're into the founders or not, James Madison himself gave advice on how to deal with the federal government when it does stuff you don't want it to do. And what was notable about his advice, not one of the, his recommendations included sue them in federal court or vote the bums out. Right. He did not say that. Transmitting directly from the launch pad. Bringing blue collar to your cell tower. The rock and roll libertarian himself. It's time to blast off with Johnny Rocket. It's Blast Off with Johnny Rocket, and I am Johnny Rocket, and I'm here with my beautiful Ray of Truth herself. Give it up for Miss Raylene Lighthouse! Hello, everybody. Hi, Johnny. How you doing? Fantastic. How are you? I'm doing well. Well, no, I'm actually kind of pissed off, but I'm not going to get on about it because it's just been kind of one of those days. But other than that, things are great, and my Liberty Fantasy World has been pretty good. Okay, I'm all about that Liberty Fantasy World. You know it. Yeah, it's just like that little place I escape to when I don't want to deal with, like, plumbing issues. And so that's what I'm, that's that little spot I have in the back of my brain that I have to retreat to, and it's a little desert island, and I'm by myself, like Robinson Crusoe, and I'm out there by myself, and I'm fishing, and I'm thinking about libertarianism, and... Not paying taxes. Not paying taxes. None of that bullshit. I own my land. I'm homesteading. I'm cool. Right? No government tyranny on my ass. Nothing. Johnny, I'd love to I'd love to see you actually homesteading, feeding some chickens. Fuck yeah. <laughs> I could feed some chickens. I am good at that. And I can plant things too. You ever see me out there like Johnny Appleseed with the fucking seeds? <laughs> I look fucking cool. It, I do. I do. Right. And I have the hat and everything. But guess what, really? We have like a really cool guest. I know. I know. So it took him a year, almost a year and a half to accept my friend request. And I'm a little hurt by it. I'm a little hurt. And it took you four seconds. I'm pissed. But before we bring out our guest, I want to give you <laughs> our uh, his little bio. The only one I could find online is that these people must really love this guy. Michael Bolden is an ideologue who has spent years promoting the idea that states can nullify federal legislation they don't like. The very same argument pushed by defenders of slavery and segregation and, <laughs> and just as baseless now as it was then. I welcome here on Blast Off. Give it up for Michael Bolden. Michael, Yay. you, you sound- oh, This is going to be the most amazing episode ever. We it have will. no pressure at all. No None. pressure. No pressure, Michael. And I'm just glad you're here because it, it I want did- to mention as a quick aside, I use the phrase plumbing issues as a euphemism for all kinds of things. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. It, that can mean you have the shits, right? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I mean, that's what I, that's like I got some oh, bad, I got breaking my line, you know, fuck. Or you could say your lane pipe, right? So that would mean that you're having sex, right? Plumbing issues. <laughs> <laughs> you could go this a lot of different directions. Grease. This needs more grease, guys. Oh. Okay. This is gold. All right. What, what are we going to talk about today? We've got like uh, one to three hours to knock this out. Uh, yeah. One, <laughs> two, three. One, it could be uh, one and a half. It could be nine hours if, if you want it, Mike. I don't, Michael, I don't care. Let's make it happen. Okay, man. Well, so first of all, man, I really want to know, 
you know, I've been researching you, Raylene and myself have, and we want to know what brought you from the left. Cause I've heard you numerous times say, you know, I came from the left and I found this libertarian stuff and I found, or not necessarily libertarianism, but you found out about nullification and stuff like that. And stuff. you started the 10th amendment stuff. center and stuff, right? Not, not any stuff, but you know, secession, nullification, uh, decentralization. What got you from the left to this radical right wing guy you are now, according to the Southern Poverty Law Center? Well, you know, interestingly enough, that SPLC, uh, it was 30 leaders of the radical right. I think it came out in 2011 or 2012. And I had written a blog the previous year titled, What's a Guy Gotta Do? Because I wasn't listed on the SPLC website. And I said, Dear SPLC, I've been traveling the country telling people to defy virtually every federal law on the books without waiting for them to be overturned. Uh -huh. Why am I not on your list? Uh, so the following year. And they wrote you back. Uh, yeah, I guess they wrote me back with an entire, entire page dedicated to me. I guess in a way I'm grateful. Some people say I should sue them for slander, but I look at it as a badge of honor because if you're not uh, catching flack, you're not over the target, right? That's good. So. Okay, so I, I will answer the question. <laughs> I promise. No, no, please I go. Because I, I only have like four questions, so have I at it. <laughs> <laughs> I came from the far, far left. Back in the day, I can, and I was very apolitical. I've actually never voted. I tried to vote for Ron Paul, but I got a letter six months later to say that my registration was, wasn't complete or something, and so it didn't count. So by technicality, I've never voted. I didn't care about really anything when it came to politicians. I hated them all just kind of naturally. Uh, but when I started thinking about stuff, I remember thinking to myself years ago when I was much younger, uh, wow, you know, if the government's going to bail out airlines, why don't they just own them? It just seemed logical. That was my thought process. So when I first, got, one. Yeah. When I first got into this kind of stuff, I was thinking, you know, I should be a Marxist. This made most sense to me. Maybe it was because the Marxists were the outsiders or something like that. But yeah. I definitely identified there. And I was a very active anti-war activist as well, right starting the day that the Iraq war started in 2003. But I was marching with the Answer Coalition. This is an, an overtly and outwardly communist organization. And I just noticed over a period of years working with them, helping them organize. And we, here in L.A., we had 10, 15,000 people on the streets when Bush was in office protesting war. I mean, certainly even though there are more bombs being dropped today than ever, and there were more dropped during the Obama administration, we can talk about that in a bit. There were more dropped by Obama than Bush. Uh, certainly that movement went away. But over a few years, I was recognizing, man, these people really aren't anti-war. Because every time I go to an event, the message is less war, more healthcare funding, less war, more education funding. Sure. And it just didn't seem consistent to me that they were <laughs> saying that they were anti-war. They were just, they wanted to spend stuff elsewhere. Uh, and I have the same kind of problem, for example, today with, with organizations sometimes, even though I like a lot of the work they do, but sometimes organizations like Cato, they only focus on how much is being spent and where sometimes instead of just focusing on the base principles. And at the same time, I accidentally came across this guy, Harry Brown, who was a Libertarian Party nice. presidential candidate yep. yes. in 96 and 2000. He was doing this incredible radio show that I was listening to at this late night job that I was working from three to 11, a second shift job at the time. Uh -huh. I'm like, oh, okay, I can do headphones. I'll listen to this guy. And I just started slowly learning and accepting that every time government says they're going to do something, it either A, costs way more, 
or they don't come through with what they promise, or they shouldn't be doing it in the first place. So that's where I kind of came across this whole 10th Amendment idea, this line in the sand that basically most of what the feds do, they shouldn't be doing in the first place. And I thought, ah, hell with it. I'm going to start a little blog and try to reach a couple of people. And this was back in 2006 when Bush was in office. And now we talk today. Wow. And now you, now you're the producer, the owner, CEO, entrepreneur. You're the guy. And I heard that this, this 10th Amendment Center is like an apartment. That's what I'm on the street. <laughs> I don't know. Well, hey, I could be wrong, man. I mean, I, I have a pretty humble house here myself, but I. That's actually an overstatement because to say that it's an entire apartment is not true. It's like, so. a, it's like a closet, right? The center is the closet. It's like breaking bad up into shit. Luckily enough, my partner, Sarah and I, we had a two bedroom apartment for a long time. And the second bedroom, which was usually used to store junk ended up becoming an office. Over the years, though, I did expand. And for a few years, up until this last fall when I moved into a new place, I did actually have a separate office. I built a whole recording studio in an abandoned recording studio in the middle of Skid Row in downtown Los Angeles, where there are probably about 10,000 people living in tents. So uh, every couple of days or so, I'd go to the studio and I'd be dodging hypodermic needles to try to get their rats and yeah. people yelling at me. Totally. So I decided I just need to run this out of the apartment. It's way better. You know, what's cool, man, is Raylene has to do that when she comes here. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm in, I'm like in <laughs> Seattle. So like, this is how it rolls here, man. People are like, we have to kick the bum out, you know, in front of the door. Hey, we got to fucking record. God damn it. Yeah. Th those needles are so dirty. Oh, I thought you were saying that your yard was filled with hypodermics. No, <laughs> no, no, no. But, we have to, but they're in the, it's, it is our yard. It's the front door to our house. I mean, over my building, you know, shit. It sucks. It, those needles are so dirty. They just get up and chase you. They, uh. they do. They do. <laughs> <laughs> Michael. Raylene. <laughs> um, you Michael. do a great job. So, Michael. Michael. You do, the <laughs> you do a great job selling the merits of nullification to a wide range of people and beliefs. Did it take practice? And can you share any advice on how to do this with our listeners? Oh, man. Are we, are we getting ahead of ourselves? That's a really cool question. Should we oh, back up you. and talk about it? Like the idea, yes. like what are we talking about? Yes. So the way I, oh, okay, so the way I describe nullification first, I can sum it up in one word, and it's weed. Basically, we're in a, here in my home country of California, back in 1996, a year after I moved here from Wisconsin, the people of the state passed something called Proposition 215, the Compassionate Use Act. And I remember at the time, and here, again, I still was not politically active at, in, in any way. I wasn't reading stuff. Uh, nothing. I love and this stuff that you speak of. I love this stuff. Stuff, stuff covers everything. It's very it, it, technical. Beautiful. And it means... I love that word. And shit. <laughs> stuff and shit. All right. There you go. <laughs> Who doesn't like stuff? So Ooh, I, I don't prefer stuffing shit. <laughs> so uh, I remember at the time like thinking, oh, man, how are they going to do this? This is illegal. And three different, one current and two previous presidents came to the state to lobby against the, the proposition saying, Oh, basically, supremacy clause. No matter what you do, don't waste your time because the feds are just going to come in and shut it down. Right. Well, we know how that marketing campaign worked, and the people of California approved Prop 215 anyways, and they're defying federal law to this day. And I can give the short version. The short version is today there are now 32 states that even though the federal government says cannabis is illegal in every situation, it doesn't matter if you get a doctor's recommendation or not. In 32 states, people and state governments are flat out defying Washington, D.C. They're getting away with it. And a few years ago, I recorded a video which basically said, 
hey, you know, things are getting so out of hand on this that sooner or later the feds are going to have to back down and repeal their prohibition or de or deschedule it, move it off of schedule one sure. just to save face, to pretend that they're the ones that are doing it because they've already lost the battle. And when states like Oklahoma, which just became number 32 in uh, June, have legalized marijuana for at least for medical purposes, uh, you know that uh, things have really turned around. So I, that's how I describe nullification. One word, weed. When enough people say no to Washington, D.C., and enough states or local communities pass laws backing those people up, there's not much the government can do to force those laws down our throats. So there was a question that I skipped, though. Yeah. Uh, did you skip that question or did you answer it? Because that, that was a long question, really. Well, the question it wasn't, was, you know, yeah. I, I do supposedly a great job of selling this across the political spectrum. And I think in, we could get back to Harry Brown. Harry Brown was such an incredible communicator. You can mm-hmm. go and find, for people who don't know who he is, I would recommend finding his books uh, from back in his presidential runs, like Why Government Doesn't Work. He also, and I don't remember if he wrote it or another guy, Michael Cloud, wrote it from uh, Massachusetts called Liberty Libertarianism or Liberty A to Z, all sure. these sound bites that you can use. These are incredible. And basically the message is you have to understand where people are coming from. So someone who's uh, who is uh, on the right that may hate marijuana, that's not necessarily going to be the first thing I hit him with. I will hit him with it for sure. It may not be the first thing. I want to find common ground with the person, find an issue that they find important, and then sell the, sell the message based on that and then expand it to other things. That's right. You do use the taxation thing, right? Because all Republicans hate taxes. I really like the part where you were talking about how the government always pretends it was their idea. That was really great. Well, it's exactly what they do. I mean, that's what they did. And I have actually done some research. Well, not just me, but I've got a a team of people that work with me, uh, volunteers, all kinds of great people. And some good people have done some research, and we found the same kind of thing actually happened during alcohol prohibition. So by 1925, 28 states had some kind of legislation on the books, what we could call today some kind of nullification legislation that prohibited them from using resources to help enforce the Volstead Act. So the feds recognized at that point there was no way to get the thing enforced. And eventually the whole country came together and uh, withdrew the amendment or overturned it with the next amendment. So this type of thing, it was really the individual action, the local action, and then the state level action all kind of coming together in a big chess move, a bunch of different chess moves that undermine the federal program and render it null and void or moot in practice. Yeah. And you were saying that like you had mentioned this before on your interviews and your speeches that the feds need states to enforce the law. So they really can't enforce it by themselves. So they need the state's cooperation to support them. And obviously they possibly get a cut out of it, right? So that's why they enforce it. There's something in it for them. Yeah. And that's not my idea. In fact, the National Governors Association back during the last so-called shutdown, these things that they want to scare people with. I mean, even even in these fake shutdowns, they're freaking out. And the National Governors Association back in 2013, they put out a press release very concerned about what might happen. They said, well, States are partners with the federal government, quote, on most federal programs. So what's the issue? Partnerships don't work too well when half the team quits. So if the states pull out, they don't. They opt out on enforcement. They don't participate. The federal program falls to pieces. We can see that very clearly with weed. We can see it with industrial hemp. We can see it with CBD. We can start seeing it with asset forfeiture programs, and we can keep going from there. 
Oh my gosh, I have a great question for you then. Awesome. I know it's a great question. I know you always have great questions, Raylene. Oh, well, I I think they're great, but that doesn't mean anything, does it? (laughs) No, they're fucking awesome. Go ahead. Thanks. I've heard you speak to Jeff Deist about Jeff Sessions, where you were critical of federal supremacy and the positions he holds. I'd like to ask you about a little bit of current events and his proposed Religious Liberty Task Force. Oh, man, I knew I should have looked this up. Can you give me the rundown? I mean, I hate Jeff Sessions. He's a piece of garbage. God, he is. So I'm happy to talk some trash about him, but I really don't know about the Religious Liberty thing. I just saw a few things, and this was just this week, right? He gave this speech. Yeah. I didn't really dig into it. If you want to give oh. me a quick overview, I'm happy to give you my gut instinct. Um, basically, he said, that's great. So he's talking about um, ensuring a, a, another government program to ensure that we are enforcing religious liberty or that we are protecting religious liberty, which I personally don't understand why we need it. Why can't we just use the Constitution to protect the liberties we should already have? But he mentioned, you know, the bake the cake thing or um, stuff like this. Like he's saying that he wants to make sure that nobody culturally can oppress anybody from a religion. Oh, man. Let's say this idea was awesome. Mm-hmm. We're just going to pretend <laughs> it was awesome. Okay, good. It's good stuff, really. The number one person that I would not trust to do it the right way would be Jeff Sessions. The man is in favor of mass warrantless surveillance of everyone all the time. He's in favor of violating your personal right to choose how you're going to medicate yourself by shutting down medical marijuana programs. He doesn't believe in the 10th Amendment that the states can make these decisions. The people of the states technically can make the decisions on weed if they want to. He's in favor of civil asset forfeiture, which is legalized government theft, and he wants to ramp it up. I mean, the guy cannot be trusted. So even if it was a great idea, which I'm assuming it's awful because we don't want government to try. I mean, a government that does all these bad things cannot be trusted to do the right thing to protect us. It's like going to Al Capone every single time. I mean, I guess when they've got a gun to your head, that's really what it gets down to. You pay your tribute, which is your taxation. And then maybe sometimes they'll leave you alone. That's how I look at taxes when I uh, send them money. But like... Jeff Sessions is a really bad guy when it comes to the Constitution or liberty more generally. Yeah. Uh, on all ends. And and what's really funny is that didn't Jeff Sessions not that long ago say he wanted that the Bible justified separating immigrant families? Yeah. In his I speech. Mean, wow. I mean, know. he's using the Bible to justify federal reasoning for what they're doing. And whether we not for ICE or open borders or any of that stuff, it doesn't even matter. Why is he getting up in front of people talking about it being biblical for if he wants to protect religious liberties? Well, Jeff Sessions is an authoritarian. He's an authoritarian monster, a pig, however you want to call it. And he can't be trusted. He really, this is his view of the Constitution. If Congress passes something and the president signs it, it's legal. They can do it. They can do whatever they want until a federal court says the federal law passed by the federal con- Congress and signed by the federal president isn't uh, is violating the Constitution. This is totally backwards. Basically, the Constitution is a legal document. Whether you think it's a good thing or a bad thing, the legal meaning of a legal document doesn't change just because people ignore it or violate it. So uh, he's got things totally backwards. Right on, man. Hey, uh, Michael, really quick, man. You had a speech at Porkfest, which I found awesome. I thought it was a great oh, speech. old school. That yeah. was Porkfest 10. Yeah, it was great, dude. You did a great job, and I know that Thank room. Thank you. I was there, like, what was it, a month and a half ago. It was great. I was in that little pavilion thing. That is one of the coolest events I've ever been to. Oh, yeah. It was fun, man. Uh, it was fun. It was definitely a time I will never forget. You did talk about 
what you know what you believe are the steps towards decentralization. And I don't know if you have it memorized, but you could probably, you know, go off on it for a little bit. Here. I can wing it. Yeah, just wing it. <laughs> oh, my God. You got, you and Johnny are so much alike. It's just cracking me up. <laughs> I'll be in Seattle tomorrow. <laughs> We're going to drink some beers. So 2013. Okay, so mind you, I was the backup for Lou Rockwell. That's right. Last minute. Last minute. Mike Vine, a good friend of mine for many years who was helping organize. I think they rotate every year who's booking speakers. He's like, Bolden. Hey, Lou Rockwell, he's had this back issue for years. And I guess it was really bad at the time. He couldn't make the trip. He's like, do you mind filling in? And I'm like, oh, man, <laughs> like that's that's enough to scare somebody. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm usually pretty comfortable talking to people. I'll blab about whatever all the time. But to be the fill in last minute for Lou Rockwell, one of the giants of liberty in history, and I had to fill in for him. But I'm like, OK, what should my message be? And I basically talked and I don't know if you had a question out of this, but I'm just rambling again. So the, the, my message was basically how to get from zero to Rothbard. You don't go from zero to 60, for example, in one step. So you basically have to take a strategic approach of how you get to that end goal. Now, not everybody has in this broad liberty movement has the same end goal. And you can see the debates between ANCAPs and political libertarians and uh -huh. uh, all these various versions of, of people who want to see more liberty. But you can still travel down the same path strategically, recognizing that some people may get off the road a little bit earlier than others and want to push even further. And my view I think the way I put it was one of the first things that I advised was forget the 202 area code is, even exists. There is no way <laughs> yep. that going to Washington, D.C. to ask federal politicians to fix problems created by federal politicians will ever work. And in, in, in fact, the whole system was created like this. Right. Whether you're into the founders or not, James Madison himself gave advice on how to deal with the federal government when it does stuff you don't want it to do, whether it's constitutional or not. And what was notable about his advice, not one of the, his recommendations included sue them in federal court or vote the bums out. Right. He did not say that. Nope. That's awesome. Yeah. So in light of the, is it the Southern Poverty Law Center, those crazy people, since we were talking about them, and I just recently listened to your book that you, is it co-wrote? It's called Nullification Objections. Answering. Yeah, yeah. So that's primarily written by Mike Meharry. And I think I my author credit is like with Michael Bolden. It is. Mm -hmm. it is um, a it's very a, small print at the bottom. You're like you're a footnote on the no, no, you're not. You're awesome, dude. I love it. Meharry is basically the writing machine. A yeah. lot of stuff that I write, he's really writing. <laughs> he's oh, like it's true. The man is incredible. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have followed him at all. He's been working with me for seven, eight years now. Wow. And he does wow. tons of news. He's a he's a professional journalist by trade who eventually was able to quit his job. He does most of the journalism work for 10th Amendment Center. He also uh, does a lot of the writing for Shift Gold, and he runs the Shift Gold weekly podcast. The guy is just a wealth of knowledge. So wow. that, that handbook is really cool. We've published a, a, a bunch of little handbooks on nullification. So you had a question, though, on that. Sorry. Well, I just love how it breaks down the history and misconceptions of nullification and like how you were labeled and, and almost kind of inferring that you might be racist oh, in yeah, a way. Right. Does nullification have the ability to combat racism and bigotry in government? And how do you 
sell this to people who want social justice. Okay, so we all went to some kind of government-approved school. Even if it was a private school, it probably has a government accreditation. So Mm -hmm. we all learned that centralized power is the solution to every problem on Earth. The idea that decentralization or not relying on government power is not something that's going to be taught in government schools too much. So when it comes to nullification, even like historians and legal scholars who have never studied this in any depth act like they're experts. They think they know what they're talking about, and almost none of them do. They're complete idiots when it comes Mm -hmm. to this stuff. And generally, when you talk about nullification, not as much as these days, now that the left likes using it uh, to support sanctuary cities, even though they probably still disavow the term, but the process and the methods are, are often used that are very similar. Uh, But back when Barack Obama was in office, the number one charge is if you oppose the central government, centralized power, you must be a racist. If you like nullification, you must be with John C. Calhoun. But they ignore the fact that the most successful up until modern times, the most successful nullification effort in history up through the 19th through the 19th century was resistance to federal slavery laws, the Federal Fugitive Slave Act of 1850 was resisted by virtually every state in the North. There's an interesting uh, legal paper that was written on this, the other nullification crisis, Vermont versus the Union. In fact, there were uh, newspaper articles that were talking about how the president was thinking of invading Vermont to force them to help return runaway slaves, but they kept refusing to do this. In fact, they were so successful throughout the Northern states that when South Carolina seceded, they issued this uh, document called the Declaration of Causes, explaining their whole justification for the secession. And the first section of that document basically covered their view of the union. It's a voluntary compact, blah, blah, blah. Then they got into their complaints. And the first complaint was that all these northern states, and they listed them one after another after another, were either nullifying the federal slavery law or taking actions that would render uh, enforcement moot. So uh, we know we know that this is how it played out because it came in their own words. But of course, the historians and the political pundits and the politicians like to ignore the fact that uh, these types of tools can be used for great good. Right on, man. Anyway, so this is Blast Off with Johnny Rocket, and I'm here with my beautiful Ray of Truth, Raylene Lightheart, and we're talking to Michael Bolden here at Blast Off. Michael, don't go away yet, sir. We have Rocket Fire coming up. And give us your dot-coms really quick. TenthAmendmentCenter.com. There you go. And, it, and it's spelled Tenth. Don't put one zero. It's TenthAmendmentCenter.com. Anyways, so this is Johnny Rocket. Always launching ideas. And we'll be right back. Rock and roll.
Blast Off with Johnny Rocket, and I'm here with the beautiful Ray of Truth herself. Give it up for Raylene Lightheart. Hello, Johnny. How you doing, sweetheart? And we're talking to the one and only Mr. Badass himself. Give it up for Michael Bolden from the 10th Amendment Center.com. Bam. And his studio apartment. <laughs> In L.A. Well, it's a two-bedroom. Oh, it's nice. It's a two-bedroom. I mean, I have to have space to have a life. That's true. And you have <laughs> right. like a, you, you have a girlfriend and, you know. Yeah, but I'm just thinking yeah. rent is probably ridiculous. It's probably the same here as it, it is, is there. It's pretty incredible here. Yeah. yeah, I'm figuring as much. It's it's like it's on the left coast. It's got to be expensive. It's got to be. Yeah, and I'm I'm right in the middle of hipster land, too. So oh, next beard world. So it is expensive. So you got like a lot of crap breweries over there in that area. Yeah, there's like seven. There's a really great one that literally all they do is sours. Yeah, like, and it's, I mean, if you're into that, I mean, I'm not, I'm not really an IPA kind of guy, Yeah, but I like either. food and I like an occasional beer and there are dispensaries all over the place and there's fun art galleries and yeah, I mean, it's cool. And People come and visit, always enjoy it. That's cool. It's kind of like Seattle then, basically. Almost the same. It's the other Seattle. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Okay, man. Well, so what we do here in the second segment, it's tradition. It's called Rocket Fire. Rocket what fire, I do on Rocket Fire, 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 fire. Sirs, I'm going to ask you a series of 10 questions. These questions will be politically or philosophically related. And if you can answer these questions between 30 to 60 seconds, that'd be badass. Michael Bolden, are you ready to play Rocket Fire? Rocket fire. No. Oh. I mean, yes. Okay. <laughs> Question one. What are your thoughts on the ACLU? Oh, I work with them all the time. They're great on some issues and some they're not. In fact, uh, when uh, when Mike Meharry, who I was just talking about, got sued by a local government for challenging their surveillance issues, the next day he was on the phone, I believe, with Edward Snowden's attorney, and they're representing him for free in court. I love him sometimes. It's like, I love him sometimes. <laughs> so what, what are some, th just a follow-up real quick, but what are, what are some of the things you don't like? Well, I mean, they recently uh, posted a tweet talking and they've laughed in my face like i had a meeting at their co at their corporate headquarters or whatever in new york city a few years ago to work on privacy related issues and we really see eye to eye on that uh, quite often but they laugh at us about the anti-obamacare and pro uh, pro gun rights issues and in fact they posted this tweet recently saying hey uh more gun rights means less liberty so they just totally get it wrong there oh Ugh. question two are people voting with their feet more now than historically uh, I have no idea. I would hope so eventually. I mean, I know people leave California. I don't know. <laughs> they moved to Arizona. Apparently, that's a big thing now. I think all the now. states are bad, so there isn't really a lot of incentive to do that yet. But in time, that would be the ideal. Right on, man. Question three. Why is economic and civil liberty so closely related or connected? Oh, man, you got to read Man, Economy, and State for that. Yeah. Because I didn't, I couldn't get through the thing. That's, I tried so many times, but it's definitely a little bit over my head. But if you can't make a choice about how you spend your money, how are you going to be able to make personal choice on everything else? Yeah. Bam. Question four. What are the differences between market actors from government actors? Government actors are evil. <laughs> All right. Five. There we go. Question five. How can you I can, can stay? Yeah. Question four. How can economic education change political philosophy? Well, I look at a guy like Roger Veer from uh, Bitcoin.com, and this is a voluntarist in the crypto community. Some people love him, some people hate him, but he talks about his, his journey, and he learned why government is so bad through being thrown in a federal prison, but also by reading Foundation for Economic Education. So as people learn that, again, this is the Harry Brown message, what government promises either costs a lot more or they never come through, 
the more that they learn that, the less they're going to trust government to do the things that they claim they're going to do in the first place. Right on, man. Question six. In your opinion, what are rights and where do they come from? Rights are natural. They're inherent by your birthright, and it's your ability to do stuff without interference from other people or primarily from government stuff. Stuff. <laughs> Question seven. Has the Constitution really protected the individual's rights? Uh, words on paper can't do or fail to do anything. So anyone who is actually relying on the Constitution to enforce itself is uh, not only uh, misguided, but uh, is going to be uh, on the wrong end of things for a long time. I mean, even the founders, the, the Constitution guys themselves, referred to the Constitution as a, quote, mere parchment barrier. It takes human action, if we understand Mises. Human action, the yep. Constitution can be a guide, but it requires human action, resistance to government overreach, if you really want to advance liberty. Right on, brother. Question eight. Do you believe in the statement, no victim, no crime, and why? Yeah, and wow, why seems self-evident. But I guess people listening to this show would probably agree with that. I have never even thought about the why on it. Sorry. No, I'm just curious. I mean, some people, I mean, I've had arguments with people who are like, well, drinking and driving, if you're drinking and you don't hurt anyone, you didn't do anything wrong. Yeah, I get. But wait a minute. You know, and I, and I have these big arguments with people. Well, I think it's it's how you define crime. So if crime is harm to another person, either fraud or violence or something sure. like that, sure. if whatever you're doing is not actually harming anybody, but maybe could, you still haven't committed the crime until you actually commit the harm. That's right. Perfect. I, that's self-evident to me, but other people, I guess not. Question nine. Women seem to live longer. Is it because they drive us into the ground, Michael? <laughs> <laughs> I'm in touch with my feminine side. <laughs> uh, you're gonna, not going to answer the so question. So he's going to live forever. No, oh. I'm going to live. Yeah, I'm going to live forever. And then at some point, someone's just going to download me into a toaster until they can find a suitable replacement. <laughs> Are you part of the uh, transhumanist movement? <laughs> no, right. no, but I guess maybe now I am. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like you are. All right, question 10. Do you think gates, walls, and obstacles provide a deterrent to individuals, or does it provide a sense of false security? False security, like the TSA. Thugs yeah. standing around. And the bonus question. What? The left and right have expanded their constitutional power, and how did they achieve that? What do you mean, bonus question? Yeah, that was a bonus one. I just put I bonus. I believe we had a discussion about 10. Uh, yeah. Technically, there's a, been about I, I lied. We I lied. can go back and it's, count it's, this. It's 11. Question 11. <laughs> This this question and answer goes to eleven. Okay, wait. That's right. Spinal Tap, great fucking movie. All right, yeah, it's a it's eleven. It's eleven. They've extended their. Well, I guess the question to me is a little odd because they haven't expanded their constitutional powers. The what most of what the government does is a violation of the constitution. All acts outside of the Constitution are null and void. It's just time to treat them that way. They just keep taking power. And as long as people either want them to have more power or they turn a blind eye to it, it's going to continue getting worse. And I think also, on top of it, as long as people continue relying on voting the bums out, trying to get new federal politicians to overturn federal law from other federal politicians or relying on federal court to overturn federal laws or a federal a president to come in and fix all the problems created by the federal government. As long as we have that absurd strategy going throughout the country, 
uh, things are never going to turn around. That power is always going to keep growing and growing and growing. And that's why I advocate for decentralization, resistance, and nullification on a state, local, and individual level. All right, and question 12. Just kidding. That's rocket that's fire rocket here. Fire. <laughs> I didn't have it's a bonus well. I just had a bonus one, man. I thought 11. That was the first time I've done something like that. Yeah, you did good, You did man. great. Yeah, good That was job. fun. Yeah, that was fun, man. Good question. Good answers and great questions because I wrote them. I had a yeah, couple of weak ones. I had a he couple of weak ones. The, the last one, though, Mark Kibler wrote. I didn't write that one. Mark Kibler. It, was, it wasn't a really good question. So, Mark, no, I'm joking. I wrote that. <laughs> oh, I love Mark. Yeah, Mark's cool. Anyways, though, this is Blast Off with Johnny Rocket, and we're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back. So, rock and roll. It's time to shake up your podcast feed, folks, by subscribing to Lions of Liberty, the only libertarian variety show out there. Spend Mondays with me, Mark Clare, as I feature in-depth interviews with great names in the libertarian community and fun roundtable discussions. Electric Liberty Land with me, Brian McWilliams, every Wednesday, your weekly dose of comedy, culture, and liberty. And Felony Fridays with me, John Odermatt, where I expose injustice in the broken criminal justice system. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and at lionsofliberty.com. This is Chris Spangle, and I am the host of We Are Libertarians, which you can find in iTunes, Google Play, or at wearelibertarians.com. We are a podcast that brings you all of the irreverence that modern politics deserves by examining current events from a libertarian perspective. So please, check us out at wearelibertarians.com. Hey guys, this is Roger Paxton, and if you're fed up with the government running every single aspect of your life, but you're not listening to the Lava Flow podcast yet, then what's wrong with you? Check us out at thelavaflow.com, or just go back to sucking up to the government. The Lava Flow podcast, striking the root every single episode. Why do people hate libertarians? One part of America calls them soulless robber barons who want to stick children back in factories, and the other part thinks they're drugged up anarchists. Who are they? And why have regular Americans been told to avoid libertarians and their ideas? Hi, I'm Remso W. Martinez, Amazon best-selling author of Stay Away from the Libertarians, where I'm going to debunk the myths, misconceptions, and outright lies thrown at libertarians, ranging from the idea that votes can be stolen to the radical notion that you own yourself. From personal stories to ignored history, I lay out the facts and ask you if these dastardly libertarians are as much of a threat as the mainstream media and establishment politicians make them seem. You can go ahead and get a copy in print and in Kindle e-reader on Amazon today. Stay away from the libertarians by Remso W. Martinez. Available on Amazon. Ground control to Johnny Rocket. Take your protein pills and put your helmet on. Well, here we are in Blast Off Episode 7 with Johnny Rocket and his ray of truth, Raylene Lightheart. And we've been talking to Michael Bolden of the Tenth Amendment Center. You know, despite his fascination with weed, marijuana, ganja, whatever you want to call it, Michael really is a funny guy. Johnny, on the other hand, was getting a little carried away with the rocket fire questions. I took a glance at his notes and realized he had another 10 questions written out, so I had to cut him off for a desperately needed commercial break. Which is fine, really, because he had been signaling to Raylene throughout the entire segment to go fetch him a cold beer. Strange how he always emphasizes the cold part. But Raylene has returned to her post, Johnny has a cold beer, and Michael is... Well, I'm not really sure what Michael is doing, but anyways, I digress. So without further ado, let's get back to the damn show already and wrap this thing up. Hey, it's Blast Off, Johnny Rocket, and I'm here with the beautiful Raylene Lightheart, and we're talking to 
Mr. 10th Amendment Center himself, Michael Bolden. All right. Michael. Michael. Thank you so much for being here. And that was a really good job on the rocket fire, man. Seriously, great job. And uh, take it away, Raylene. All right. Because you're a California resident, I'd love to hear you speak about the secession of California. A lot of us are excited about the idea of it for liberty's sake. And, and it's something that uh, we have never seen. We know about the Civil War and everything like that. But what are the criticisms you hear? And what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, most of the criticisms I hear are pretty dumb. Like, well, so... <laughs> Don't hold that. All right. I'm, Don't hold I'm that. Already Is that too laughing. technical? Is no, that too I love technical? It. no, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's good stuff. I Good really stuff. need to, I really need to lower my my intellect uh, the language that I use it's just uh, it's just over the top of everybody it is it is the stuff you you're talking Dumb about stuff shit bad yeah, guy dude. jeff sessions okay so i did a i did an interview with jeff dice Mises institute in fact we've talked about it a few times um talking about this and some people will say uh, from the liberty movement like, oh, man, you know, that's how, what about the people of California? They're going to have it worse off. But the idea is, if you want to advance liberty, have the effects of each government be limited geographically so people can escape. It right. gives liberty a chance. No one's claiming that the idea of California secession is going to be a libertarian paradise, but it certainly would create a situation where there are smaller governments that can have less of an impact because they can draw on a smaller population to steal their money to go force them to do stuff. So in that regard, I think it's very positive. I don't think there is any chance it is going to pass in California. It is not even the splitting the California into three states, which the original uh, goal was six states. Mm -hmm. It's not on the ballot. It got enough signatures, but then there was a, a lawsuit and the state Supreme Court said, no, no, it's not going to happen. So it will not be on the ballot. And I mean, I like the idea of just smaller, localized political units and uh, as a way to advance liberty. But I mean, I think it's more of a uh, it's more theoretical at this point. So speaking of that, we could tie this question into that. And from the stuff well, that you were, you were, about. That. you were talking about, you were talking about stuff. So I wanted to bring up more stuff okay. that you can answer. All right? More stuff, please. Yeah. I need more stuff in this so, interview. Stuff. I think you were talking to, I, I don't know if you were talking to Jeff Dice, but you said that you wanted to, you know, try socialism just to be tried so we can actually show people the kind yes, of bullshit that, was, that actually well, happens. Yeah. Jeff. Okay. So that's the whole idea of this whole federalism, this 10th amendment, the decentralization idea. The only way that people can learn in a marketplace, even though you can't really call government a marketplace, the only way people can learn is by seeing the practical effects of something. So as long as there's always this kind of quasi thing that's controlled by one side or the other, no one really learns how things play out. But if you had uh, California uh, do things one way on, well, actually, I'm lying. We are learning how it works out through weed again. It, right. 15 years ago, 10 years ago, when I was talking to right wing groups about legalizing marijuana in their state, they would at first boo me off the stage. I mean, I wouldn't leave and keep going. Eventually they would get it. But today, the fact that Oklahoma voted 57 percent to 43, pretty easy to pass the broadest medical marijuana law in American history, broader than anything here on the West Coast by a long shot. Uh, wow. The fact is. People do learn that when you allow people more freedom, 
the world doesn't come to an end. And in fact, some people can get rich out of it, too. That's so right. That's the same argument I would give to people on the left. If you really believe in socialized health care, single payer health care, follow the Canadian model. The Canadian model did not start as a federal program. It started in Saskatchewan. From Saskatchewan, it went to Ontario. And from Ontario, it went to another province. And eventually, it kind of swept the country and became a federal program after a lot of people were clearly on board with it. And I don't know really the inner workings of uh, the culture in Canada. I mean, even though I grew up in Wisconsin, which is basically the same area, but it was a local area by local area approach. And if you really want to win, prove to people that what you are doing is the right way, whether it's uh, a socialist, socialist on the left or a right winger or a libertarian or a Green Party person, the best way to advance your cause is not going to be in Washington, D.C. It's going to be in your state or your local community. Right on, brother. Right on. Oh, so the other quick thing I wanted to mention, though, about the California secession. So uh, and when Bush was in office, a lot of local friends really were into what I was doing. They're like, oh, that's pretty cool. I was still working <laughs> a part time job at the time. But at some point, I eventually quit and I just do this full time. When Obama was in office and when I would hang out with friends, they wouldn't really want to have conversations with me about stuff unless they wanted to say, hey, Bolden, you look like an idiot or something like that. <laughs> but soon as Trump won, the very next day, my my good friend who lives, well, he just moved, but he's lived right down the street from me in downtown L.A., uh, a longtime kind of Bernie guy who ended up voting for Hillary. He calls me and says, hey, Bolden, want to go to the gun range? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I said, hell yeah, yeah, let's do it. We did. I've got pictures on Facebook to prove it. But so the same thing is happening on these ideas of, of secession. Cal That's right. There's a lot yep. of Green Party people that talk to me about it. And whether they, they're going to pull it off, I think is very unlikely. But a lot of people on the left are recognizing the idea of decentralization is the only tool they have when you've got a Republican-controlled Congress and a Republican, like, well, whatever you want to call the guy, as President Donald Trump. The only tool you really have other than like just trying to go through these weird uh, media like conversations to really affect things are to resist on a state or a local level. And that can be really effective. I think they recognize this. The question is, will that carry over once the other team is back in charge? I'm assuming not. I'm loving what you're talking about because I've noticed that since Trump has been in charge, people are talking about the sanctuary cities and you hear in a state rights coming from the liberals. And you hear um, with with the rise in the police support on the right, the left is is more vocal now with BLM. And, and we're hearing people flip-flopping depending on what the issues are being talked about. And, and I think media is a large part of it. But even the liberals are talking about zoning issues now, which is great, um, which means that we could be freed up with, you know, zoning laws are rooted in racism, honestly. And it was all so about- So our marriage licenses- Yep. Oh, yeah. yep. Marriage yep. license. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. And so when you hear people talking about breaking this down and having mixed use zoning so people could have their businesses where they live and, and keeping it cheaper and not trying to keep certain people out of certain neighborhoods, this is this is what I want to hear more liberty. And what you're doing is putting the power back to the people in their small communities. Um, libertarianism itself is very grassroots, community oriented and, and voluntarism. So I'm just really impressed. If you had a top five issues. I know we talked a lot about marijuana and it's it's already kind of happening, but um, you can include it. What top five laws do you think we should be nullifying right now? 
the empire, the empire, the empire, the empire, the empire. But that's the, probably the most difficult one. Difficult, and, yeah. Yeah, it is very difficult. So I take kind of a holistic approach and recognize that every time you undermine the central state's power in some way, especially economically, the less of ability they'll be have to pull off of occupying the globe which is pretty much what they do. So uh, we are very aggressive on supporting efforts to undermine the Federal Reserve's monopoly on money on a state-by-state level. We worked very hard to get passed in Utah, Arizona, Oklahoma, Texas, and maybe somewhere else. Legal Wyoming, legal tender laws, which recognize gold and silver, what they should be, as money. So in Utah, there's there's a business called United Precious Metals Association, UPMA.org. It is a privately owned gold and silver bank outside the FDIC. Yes, I've heard about this. People can deposit from anywhere. You can deposit gold and silver there, and you can get a little Visa-branded credit card or a debit card, and you can make purchases at vendors in sound money. It does the conversion to fiat in the background. So, But my belief is the more that people do this, the more they recognize that the value of their money holds when it's in sound money, yes. uh, the the less likely the Federal Reserve will be able to continue doing. And that's why I support cryptocurrencies, for example, as well, because anything that creates monetary competition is huge. So that's very important. The surveillance state is extremely important. Gun control, obviously, is mm. very important. I think uh, it's also very important to keep pushing on the drug war on uh, everything from marijuana to asset forfeiture because it shows the success Some people will tell me, and a lot of Republicans who clearly years ago would have said, yo, you guys are with the terrorists. I mean, this is what we were called when Bush was in office. You must be with the terrorists. Go back to Cuba because we oppose centralized power on things like the Patriot Act, the Real ID Act, the war on drugs. They would always call us that. But now they've shifted their messaging to, well, it's not that important. (laughs) Yes. You know, why don't you focus on something that's important? Well, I want to focus on things that will teach people how to get the job done. And there is no better example in modern time than weed. So we need to apply that to nationalized healthcare, to gun control and everything else. We've been pushing very hard, for example, and maybe there's an argument to be made that sanctuary immigration sanctuary cities are even more successful. No one's saying on the immigration sanctuary cities. No one's saying, you know, they have absolutely no effect on federal immigration law, but I don't like them. So the federal government should come in and shut those down. No, they're complaining about them because they do have an effect. So why not kind of deconstruct, reverse engineer, sure. look at what they're doing yep. and create a gun rights sanctuary city? So, for example, just last week in Josephine County, Oregon, they passed a basically a firearm sanctuary county ordinance that would ban the local government from providing material support or resources to the enforcement of any state or federal gun control laws. They would That's just stop awesome. participating. That's great. That's, That's awesome. basically what's happening in San Francisco on immigration. Why not put that into practice on something else? Yeah. I'm with you, man. And you know what's cool is like, you know, you were talking about the the what what some states, you know, are, you know, what some people are proposing that the states do to nullify the centralized authority, like what you're saying, like the proposal about Utah with the with the water, oh. you know, for the NSA with the computers to, to actually cool them down. I mean, I mean, stuff like that is just cool. Like that takes some creativity to think like, what could we do to fuck them over <laughs> and not give them any authority or be or for them to actually be able to enforce it? 
My good friend Tom Woods always refers to that as basically, this is the coolest thing you've ever come up with. This is the biggest one. If anything that you work on, like if this is the one, if some state decides to shut down the NSA, that is huge. Now, mind you, when this whole Snowden thing came out, a lot of people started asking, what are you guys going to do about this? And I thought, well, absolutely nothing. There's nothing we can do. How are we going to stop the NSA? And so I just I spent about two weeks doing a lot of research and you can actually Google a lot of this stuff. I noticed that back in 2006, the NSA in Fort Meade, Maryland, was using so much electricity to power their surveillance programs that they had maxed out the local power grid. And they were worried about a shutdown of the agency. So they started aggressively looking for new locations that had cheap access to either water because the computers require water cooling systems to keep them uh, keep them operational or an independent power grid. They also expanded a a bigger facility in San Antonio, Texas, because they have an independent power grid there. And we noticed that the the contracts to provide these services were provided through either state or local governments. There's like a utility that's basically part of the of a political subdivision of the state of Utah, this Bluffdale, is great. Utah. And they're providing yeah. up to a million gallon, millions of gallons of water per week, per month. And if they just say, we're not going to do that, then the NSA facility can't operate. Well, we got very close to getting that bill yeah. to move in Utah. There was rallies. It was reported in CNET. And then I don't know if it was a colonel, but someone from the U.S. National Guard came and spoke to a lowly a rules committee chairman in the Utah State House and said, you let that bill out of your committee, you've got problems. And then they killed it immediately. And the guy who sponsored it stopped, uh, said he's not going to do it for a while or ever again. Uh, yeah, now, mind you, yeah. Utah isn't the only place. Just last month, well, two months ago, June 17th, 2018, the state of Michigan passed that very bill, the Fourth Amendment Protection Act, banning the state from providing material support or resources to warrantless federal surveillance programs. That means if we know the NSA is still working to expand, if they wanted to go to Michigan, they could not sign any contracts to do that with the NSA. Absolutely not. So the idea that even if Utah, we can't get Utah, we should get this type of thing passed in every other state in the country. The idea is box them in, prevent them from expanding further. Then we'll start knocking them down from there. That's right, man. A no to tyranny is a yes to liberty, right? Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> I think you said it. And uh, what are some of the accomp- what are some of the other accomplishments of the Tenth Amendment Center? We're, we're going to wrap this up, brother. Oh, really? Yeah. I thought we we're going nine hours. No, no, no. Well, we-, uh, well, we can later. <laughs> that's the after party. Oh, nice. I always do after hours. Stuff. Yeah, that's okay, what we're so- doing. Well, obviously, uh, fighting the drug war is a big one. We are, I mentioned the Josephine County, the sanctuary gun or the gun sanctuary ordinance. There was another one passed in Herndon, Kansas. A handful of small communities have been pushing back on gun control. Asset forfeiture is a big one. There's something called the equitable sharing program. This is what Jeff Sessions absolutely loves. If your state limits asset forfeiture, and we don't have to get into all the details of that, I'm assuming your listeners actually know pretty well what that is. But if a, a state on the state level, if they restrict it, what the feds do is say, you know what? We don't care if you have a restriction. Why don't you just tell everybody that what you uh, stopped somebody for was a federal crime? You can partner with us, give us the money, and we'll feed you back 80% of it. Well, the way to shut that down is to opt out of it. And the states that have opt out of it are New Mexico, California, Ohio, Colorado, Nebraska, and somebody else, Arizona, 
not fully, but about 80% of the situations where this comes up, those states have opted out of that program. The more that opt out of it, the less that the federal equitable sharing program can even exist. And then, of course, there's all kinds of smaller surveillance issues beyond just the NSA spying. The federal government funds local communities to have uh, stingray devices, automated yep. license plate readers at every, yeah. like up and oh, down yeah. fast track. Well, if you, and what they do is they take the information from this and then they pass it through fusion centers or something called the information sharing environment. So someone who's driving from point A to point B in Southern California, that information of their location, plus the facial recognition oftentimes of anybody else who's in the car gets passed through a fusion center and every law enforcement agency in the country has that information. But if you restrict that information from either being collected or shared, no data, no tracking programs. So That's we've right. gotten a number of states to pass bills like that as well. And we work on tons of stuff. Uh, the place for if people want to like I can just plug it. The place where people can go. We've got about a 70 page annual report that people can download for free. It talks about the theoretical basis for all this stuff and then the progress we've made on various issues. It's 10th Amendment Center dot com slash report. Hell yeah. And te- and 10th is 10th is spelled out. That's right. Yes. I'm just still pissed off about the traffic cameras. Like if the cop They're didn't bad, see you, it didn't happen. Right. That's how They're I look bad. at it. That's how I look at it. They're bad. Well, and it's a nefarious thing because the idea was a, a traffic safety. And I know Houston had this uh, at some point. No one was going through the red lights. So they actually took them down because the revenue generation was so dried up that they ah. had to actually get rid of them. And I don't know if it actually ended up like that, but that was basically the debate. But the nefarious thing is they say, oh, we're going to protect you. We want traffic to go smoother. But really what they're doing is they're tracking your location and then they add facial recognition. Then they add facial recognition for passengers. And it gets worse and worse and worse. They know who you associate, where you go. And we don't want any government to have that kind of power. I'm with you, brother. Aren't the local police using the amplifications from the NSA with their tracking and, and listening to us? Aren't the aren't local police stations in, in different states actually siphoning off the information and, and what they can hear through like cell phones and all that kind of stuff? Aren't they using that? Yes, it's called parallel construction. So Thank you. Uh, that's the, the technical term for what happens is the NSA gets some information and, you know, we'll think of it in a kind of an old school kind of Humphrey Bogart kind of way. Someone knocks on the door and, the you know, the investigator's like, oh, what do you got for him? And he's like, well, so-and-so's doing this. Well, then the, the investigator has to pretend he didn't get the information illegally and recreate how he got the information to pretend that he followed legal procedures, got a warrant, etc. But he knew what he was going for in advance. That's totally illegal. Uh, William Binney, who was the former uh, NSA technical director, a whistleblower, he called it the most dangerous type of power since the Civil War. Right on, man. Anyways, so this is Blast Off with Johnny Rocket. Give it up for Mr. Michael Bolden! <laughs> Bam! Dude, that was awesome. Thanks, dude, guys. You're a badass, dude. And if you guys are not a subscriber to the show, please check us out at patreon.com forward slash blastoff where you get to hear more of this interview with the infamous Michael Bolden. So anyway, so this is Johnny Rocket and Raylene Lightheart signing off. Rock and roll. We'll see you next week.